Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the indie app developer behind the wildly popular Widget Smith, David Smith. David, thanks for coming so much. Oh, thank you for having me. It's uh, I looked through the you know the, the list of people you've had on before, and it is quite a uh, a rarefied air that I'm walking into. So I'm honored to be here. <laughs> yeah, I I still can't believe I like and so new here, and everybody's been so gracious to just come on. And I'm getting bolder and bolder, and who I'll uh, who I'll send an email and be like, hey, you know, feel free to ignore me, please. But uh, will you come on? And people are just like, oh yeah, I'd love to. And Blows me away how kind everybody I've talked to is so far uh, every single time. And you are definitely no exception. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's my pleasure. I listen to launch all the time. So it's kind of cool to like be on like I, I can actually I can actually talk back to the show today. Yeah. So that's, that's nice. <laughs> oh, man. OK, so uh, before we, we get into Widget Smith and kind of your prolific <laughs> iOS career so far, sure. I kind of want to give everybody a primer uh, for anybody who doesn't already know who you are. So the three questions I always ask everybody is where are you from? Do you have a formal education related to, uh, I guess, software development? And then let's kind of talk through what your career was before you got into iOS. Sure. So I, let's see, I was, so I was, I have a, where I'm from is a slightly complicated question, but uh, so I'm, I was born in South Africa, uh, lived there until I was 11 and then moved to the United States uh, and uh, specifically like the Northern Virginia area. And that's where I lived uh, up until very recently when I recently uh relocated for a few years to the united kingdom so that's where i am currently oh okay um the see my formal education um so i have a i went to undergrad for computer science i also have a master's degree in software engineering um and so those are very sort of applicable to uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to my career uh, very directly i think from a young age i've always known that being being a programmer writing code was a sort of that was uh, every time like in you know you have like the guidance counselor meetings and they give you the like aptitude test and things it's like i always came back essentially like 99 percent going to be a programmer two percent anything else like it was oh, always wow. that was like that was what my 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 skills my giftedness is all sort of focused in that direction and so um that's sort of where i went for school and kind of went down that path uh very strongly and see before i got into ios development i mean i've always a programmer after my first job um i was actually in high school and i started doing programming for um it was for the palm 5 i think it was i was writing uh, railroad inspection software for the palm 5 and so it was like things that track inspectors would take out with them into the field with these little like Palm Pilots with a GPS receiver strapped to the back of it, um, and they would use that for doing railroad inspection. And that was my first job, and did that oh, wow. for a while. Um, and there's a sort of doing all kinds of different things for uh, rail inspectors. At that, that was just like the specialty of the company I worked for. And then I went and did some web development for a while, did some government contracting for a while, um, and then had a brief stint uh, working at the Rosetta Stone. Uh, the language learning people for a while, and then it was after that um, that I sort of went independent and started originally i was doing web consulting primarily and then sort of picked up ios gradually and did some ios consulting and then started making my own apps and just sort of kept developing that business till the point that you know my apps were my client rather than having external consulting clients um, that i would work for and just kind of i guess that's been the story ever since i think i'm coming up on about 12 years of being independent 
uh, now. So it's, it's now at this point, it's, that is my career. Um, you know, the, I was only in the workforce for maybe four or five years before, prior to that. So like my, 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 my career oh, wow. is, yeah. is, 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 I've been independent, um, for essentially my entire like functionally for my whole career. Um, and this is, this is all I know at this point. <laughs> so you sort of, uh, not to say not backed in necessarily, but you, you started out the iOS work with consulting. Yes. So, well, uh, sort of. So, I mean, I, I think I, I learned, so I was a web consultant, um, as sort of, that was, it was a, a Specifically, we sort of got into consulting when not necessarily with the goal of being in, in independent, but the job I had at the time um, was very inflexible about working hours and had a really long commute. Mm, and this yeah. was about the time that we had my first, uh, our, our, my wife had our first child. And it was just one of those things where it was going to be untenable for me to continue commuting an hour each way every day. Um, and so I sort of was able to find a client who would hire me to do some web consulting for them. And so I did that. Um, and so sort of, and that became sort of, I went into to sort of quit my job and started just doing web consulting. And this is around the time that the iPhone launched and I didn't actually own an iPhone at the time, but I always thought it sounded cool. And so I started <laughs> learning how to program for it. And so I started working towards launching my first app and I launched a couple of apps and then, um, it sort of became this thing where I was doing web consulting and then a little bit of iOS consulting. And then I would do a little bit, it's like, you know, half and half I web and iOS consulting. Um, and then it kind of originally eventually became only iOS consulting, no web consulting. Um, and then eventually the apps on the sort of this became where it started off as the side hustle for me to learn new technologies. Um, eventually over sort of overcame the other stuff. And instead of being the side hustle became the main hustle. <laughs> so, okay. So you, you did like some side project, put your own apps in the store, and then you could leverage that for uh, getting some consulting jobs. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that was how I learned. I was like, wow, I guess people were probably desperate for any help they could get on iOS when it first came out. Um, but it would have been kind of wild if they <laughs> hired somebody who learned it uh, as they were doing it in the first place. Yeah. It's like not quite, but I mean, there was certainly a period of time when, I mean, there were very relatively few iOS developers in the world. Like, I mean, right. just in, in, in a, in a sense of, you know, you'd go to, I mean, it's like, even just, I think back to like my first WWDC, you know, it's like I, the, the iOS was a significant part of the show, but it was like, they also had a web track and a Mac track that were like, you know, well attended and big as just as much of the focus, um, as, as, it, as you know, whereas now it's, you know, iOS dominates, um, you know, I, I, anything like that, but it was, it was certainly, um, I, you know, I was, I, I can only learn on the go myself. Like I have to build something. And so like I, my first app I wrote was a tip calculator because I think that's what everyone does. And, <laughs> um, I never actually shipped that one to the store. The first app I shipped to the store was a, uh, like a travel expense reference app for government consultants, um, who get paid like very specific amounts of money based on where you are, uh, for your travel expenses. And that was my, the first app I ever shipped and, and like kept kept going from there so how soon after the app store launched was that so i had applied to be on the app store from day one so like i said i submitted my application that summer um but it i think I, my first app actually launched in october i think it was of that year um so i was i missed the 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 actual launch by a few months just because my account wasn't approved by apple um until then right. so i was ready to go as soon as my account was approved but uh, i wasn't one of the, the lucky few who was chosen to be able to do it uh, on day one so was the sort of uh mad rush of people that were just buying random apps was that still a thing once you got in um 
to, to some degree. I mean, I think it was a weird time because the app store had so few, um, had so few apps that it was even like, like the number one way that you would get, um, sort of a, a rush of downloads would be if you'd submit an update, because if you submitted an update, you would show up in the recently changed list, um, in the app store. Because they had a chronological list of every time an app was updated, you would get to the top of that list. And it was sort of like at one of the top charts, you know, like top paid, top free. Um, and then they had like recently updated. And recently updated was something that anyone could be in because it wasn't based on how successful you were. And so it was this weird game of like, right? you know, app review was a long process at that point. But it was this thing where you would constantly be wanting and incentivized to always have an update kind of ready to turn around after your last one did, you, you, you know, you've, it gets approved, you put another one in the queue because you get this visibility. And it was only what only worked because the app store was so small that, you know, there were only 100 apps that got an update every day or, you know, a few a few hundred apps a day um, overall. And so it was just one of those funny things that, yeah, it's like there was definitely a different store than it is now when it is, you know, millions of apps um, yeah yeah i can't imagine what that would look like now it would be like a like live youtube comments or something where it's yeah. just an endless stream of uh, icons just flying down the screen <laughs> yeah i mean i gotta imagine they do hundreds of thousands of updates a day um, yeah at this point so it's it's crazy to think about interesting so so that first app uh presumably that didn't you know you didn't just quit everything else you did and become a full-time ios developer off the the money from that right away but no. Were you, did you kind of get like a taste in your mouth and be like, you know, I think I want to like turn this into a, a business and um, kind of lean into that? Or was it sort of a side fun thing for a while? I mean, I think the, the dream was always that I would make my living from apps that I made that I think, and, and I just, I enjoy the process of making apps. And so it's, the, it's very um, much that kind of thing of, I always like the dream was always that thought of I could, if if I can make just enough money done it, you know, on a day-to-day basis for my apps that I can stop taking on consulting. I never liked consulting. That was just a means to an end. Right. And I can then just sort of make the things that I like. And I like the lifestyle and the kind of feeling of, of being, um, an independent developer. And so that was always the dream. And it's like for those early days, I remember kind of backing out a calculation of, okay, what is like the bare minimum salary that I need, um, on a yearly basis to just like, be fine and then i took that and then like work out our expenses and our taxes and health insurance and all the things that i have to kind of like add on to that and then work it out back to how much do i need to make in the app store per day and it was just like i had a number that was i every like and every monday i ran a report from itunes connect and i would see how close i was getting to that because that was sort of in my mind my goal was it's like i needed to, to make whatever it was i can't even remember it was maybe like 140 dollars a day or something in the app store um then like if i could do that it wouldn't be a great living but it would be enough that i could like make ends meet and so that was always the goal. And it was just kind of this process of, you know, I, I, I mean, I launched countless apps to get to that point, um, kept trying and thinking of new ideas or, and this was certainly in the period where they were just, you, if you actually had an idea for an app, you never knew if it was going to be a hit. You never knew because it's like, it's a brand new app concept. Like it isn't the situation you have now where there's such saturation in the app store. Right. And so at, at that point it was very different where it's like, you know, I, I wrote, was one of the, it's like one of the first, well, I definitely wrote the first uh, per diem reference app because um, it's like, I don't think this is particularly broad market for that. Um, but even like in more developed categories, there are a lot of areas where it's like there's opportunities to be the first or one of the first. 
Um, and so it was just kind of continuing. My initial approach was just to try and maximize the number of opportunities I had by continuing to hit as many new categories as I could. Yeah, I, that that calculation, uh, I feel like I know multiple people who are sort of in that process now or who were recently in that process. And that was, to me, thinking about that situation was exactly what was so exciting about uh, Apple dropping their cut for uh, people who make you know less than a million dollars because like that 15%, I feel like dramatically would have bumped you forward and when you could have gone totally full time. Oh, absolutely. Um, by, you know, a significant time period. Um, and like, maybe I'm, because I, I haven't, you know, crossed that threshold, but uh, it feels like once you do cross that threshold and then you can spend all of your time working on the apps, uh, the actual quality of your output, whether it's the number of apps or the the app that you're working on getting more feature rich or whatever, can kind of balloon yes and uh that can grow a lot faster after that right yeah no i feel like there is definitely a a a compounding effect once you're yeah. able to focus exclusively or primarily um you know it, it's like I've, I've always had other things like i have a, a podcast that i do and so like that's a side thing to my apps now but the primary focus is what i do is working on the apps and i think once you're able to give that your primary attention rather than you know whatever the, your side thing is your day job your consulting work whatever that might be like there is a it compounds on itself and um, in a weird way, it creates this slight sense of, at least I found it was this sense of accountability. And like, I, I put myself more into it because now like my livelihood is writing on this and right. it's not, I, I can take it more seriously. And that taking it by taking it seriously, it also allows me to do better work because um, I'm, I'm not cutting corners. I'm not being silly. Like it is something that requires, it requires serious attention because that, you know, that that's, that's what's ultimately going to be paying my mortgage and, you know, buying my groceries. And so I think there's a definitely like the closer you can get and the quicker you can get to that point, there's definitely this feeling where it's like, it is an acceleration, like there's an inflection point that happens that accelerates your work. And I think definitely to your point with a small business program, it's very cool to me because yeah, when I think back to those days, it would have been, I mean, it's hard to know exactly, but it would have been several months, I think earlier that I could have stopped, you know, like one or two more contracts that I never would have had to take. Um, and so I would have started that compounding effect that much earlier. So I think it's super exciting um, that, you know, it's like Apple is doing that for the, for the, for developers, I mean, but the reality is for almost all, for almost every developer, they're doing this. But I think it's especially exciting to me for those small um, indie developers starting out where they can hopefully make that transition um, that much sooner. It makes me wonder if in the next year we'll, we'll see a little bit of a bump in, uh, in sort of the indie highly craft uh, apps because it's more viable for more of those people to switch from doing it, you know, like you said, as a side project to something where they can really throw all their full time and attention to it. Yeah, no, um, I think it'll be very interesting to see. Yeah. So the other thing you, you talked about, um, which I feel like uh, as I entered this world and became kind of obsessed with, <laughs> with your podcast under the radar, uh, by the way, um, I've always had as like your, your sort of strategy seemed to be what you mentioned earlier, which is um, try lots of things. It seems like a lot of, you know, the well-known indie app developers in this space kind of put all their eggs in one basket and spend a whole bunch of time and kind of release this big thing to the world and hope that it catches on. And if it doesn't, they'll try another one. Um, but yours seems to be a much quicker turnaround with way more uh, apps that you were trying, especially early on. 
what was yeah. like what kind of led you to to doing it that way I mean, I suppose in some ways you could say that um, a lack of success drove me to to need to do that. Uh, <laughs> that you know, like if if the first app I had launched had been wildly successful, I now I would have necessarily ended up on this path uh, because I wouldn't have needed to. But it, um, you know, as I, as I was going, I found that I was able to get enough traction with you know with the apps i was having that it's like they were layering on top of each other enough you know sort of building towards that income point that i was hoping um but never i never had any it took a long time before i had any one app that was sort of making a significant um income for me and so i kind of that's how i got started and then once that was sort of the pattern i got into i just started also discovering that i really enjoyed it and i one of the you know the favorite my favorite part of this job is that first like maybe 40% of developing an app where you're, it's all fresh and it's all yeah. interesting and new and you're solving all the cool problems. Um, and you're not having to deal with some of the back end or the net, like marketing stuff that I don't enjoy as much. And I really love that process. And so once I got a taste of like, well, like, gee, I can just keep doing this and it's fine. Um, I kind of got into that habit and I think I'm up to, oh gosh, I think it's something like 57 apps or 56 apps at this point that I've launched, um, over 12 years. And so it's, you know, certainly a pattern. I think the, the pace is certainly slowed down. And I think some of that is just obviously once I've had some apps that, um, had some traction, had some success, there was, a, there was a, an obvious period where I would reinvest into those apps. Right. And make them better and more developed and f- kind of flesh them out, uh, before I move on to the next step, uh, Versus in the earlier periods where I've, I've launched many apps that have gone absolutely nowhere that have had like two downloads and then like that's it. And so for those apps, they never got a version 1.1. They never got uh, any further attention. And so it became, you know, it's this funny balance of I, I try and make sure that I keep working on new things just because that's how I stay sharp. That's how I keep um you know, sort of myself interested in work, but I have to balance it now with, you know, sort of maintaining the older apps that have, have done well and are worth and sort of justify uh, further investment. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, like the marketing side of things. How how did you approach that, especially early on uh, before? I, I know you've talked about this on your shows before, how like kind of having a profile in this community is helpful for the initial launch. But once you once you're in the store, you sort of you're like everybody else. You're just trying to get attention of people who don't already know who you are. Yeah. Um, but especially early on, you didn't have this like big profile or anything like you kind of have now. How did you try to get attention in the store? Sure. I mean, I think so. Th- I think the early days were like trying to do my best to be like a student of the app store and understand what I could do in there to, you know, like I was saying with being, you know, updating your app frequently. So you're in the recently changed or yeah. what, what screenshots work well, what screenshots don't, um, having good marketing text, um, in the app store. And then, I mean, honestly, a lot of beyond, beyond that, it's just was a, it was, it was sort of intentionally trying my best to, uh, develop the way they say it. it's like, but to develop a little bit of a platform to be able to broadcast out to and that um, largely sort of the obvious place for that ended up being in the iOS developer community which is sort of helpful and sort of not helpful it's helpful because obviously it's an area that I am an expert in and so I can I can speak with authority in a way that's authentic and right. so having an it, it makes sense that that's a place that it, people would come and sort of have a you know care what I say whereas if I wanted to uh, try and develop an audience in like cooking or something I, ha- I have no expertise i have no specialty there um and so it's like i have, it would have been really useful when i made a recipe organizer if i had an audience in the cooking space but i 
I have no had no such thing, and so that that never really worked worked out. Um, and then, I mean, beyond that, it has just been you know, huge amounts of cold calls and emails, kind of thing, and um, just continuing. I mean, I think in many ways, like I don't really, I don't really feel like I'm very good at marketing. I think it's something that I I do well enough, and I kind of fall back on a few basic things of you know reaching out to a few people in the press and. Uh, trying to have reasonable screenshots and trying to have reasonable app store optimization kind of things and um, just sort of hoping for the best. And it's, it, I mean, I guess in some ways I just hope that the thing that I am actually good at, the thing which is, you know, like the actual programming side can in some ways make up for a little bit of my in, it, lack of ability or challenge in the marketing side, um, which make the apps hopefully in some ways like that, you know, the, the best kind of marketing that for, for an independent developer, I think is kind of that word of mouth, um, based marketing. And so, uh, that's the thing that I can do by being trying to make the app nice, I guess. Uh, but the actual like formal marketing or like anytime I've tried to do like paid advertising or things, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I feel like <laughs> yeah. I'm almost always just like, I'm just throwing money down a, you know, down the drain, um, whenever I try it. Yeah. They say you have to like spend, I, I, you know, everybody has a different, probably totally random number, but it's always astronomical how much money people will basically flush down the toilet to learn how to advertise uh, correctly. Yeah. And they're like, you're not going to actually start making money until you've spent this much. And I'm like, whoa, I don't know if I'll ever get there. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that it, and it's, it's the reality. I think it's the understanding that I have that like, there are people who, you know, to your question at the beginning of like, did you, you know, did I do education around, um, you know, what I'm ultimately doing? It's like, there are people who go to school to learn about, learn about marketing and to learn about advertising right. and then go and work in an advertising company and a PR firm. And like, it is an industry and an expertise that, um, I'm not going to, I shouldn't be able to expect to just, that I'm just like going to be able to show up and you know, do, do a, a professional, amazing job based on some medium posts or something. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> you're not too far from it. Like it is a lot of like medium post and seeing what else someone else does and then trying it out myself with my own spin and um, that kind of thing. But it's, it's certainly never going to be at the level of someone, um, you know, who that's their job. That's their expertise. That's their specialty. You know, they've spent someone else's money um, on advertising to such a degree that they know what they're doing and cannot just like, you know, burn through a bunch of money. We're not getting any uh, result. Yeah, that makes sense. And that, that jives with uh, my experience. One thing I, that is really nice though, is that, uh, the iOS community, like on Twitter seems to be very open to sharing all the experiment experiments that they do, or at least the groups mm -hmm. that I've, I've sort of found. Um, and that, does feel like that's helpful although most of the time it's kind of like i spent this much and tried this and then it didn't work sure and so <laughs> it usually makes me uh, scared to even try it but um yeah yeah i guess it is like you'd have to like really dive in and choose that as a skill you want to build up it's not something you're just gonna just sort of try one day like i want to learn how to use you know the new collection view layout uh it's it's not a skill that you can just build off of skills that you already have. It's a totally new thing. Yeah. And, and I think it's, and it's a specialty um, like anything else. And I, I do think I appreciate that. Our, I think our community is broadly fairly generous with sharing that kind of stuff because in many ways it's, it's sort of orthogonal to what our actual like when we're not we're not competing against each other in that same way like right. we, we're all making our own apps in our own areas um and 
it, there's a little bit of, you know, it's like we all benefit from it. And so it, it have, I mean, that's been the way since the beginning of the iOS sort of dev community has always been very um, sort of welcoming and helpful and, you know, sort of supportive of each other. I feel like that um, even when it became that, you know, the biggest apps were from big companies, there still has always been this kind of core ethos of a, a group of iOS developers that um, are much more in it just to support and encourage and uh, sort of help other people um, make apps. Now, early on, you you were not exclusive to iOS, right? Where you experimented on the Google, I guess it was it used to be Google Android market. Yeah, so I mean, I, I've I've tried that. I mean, I even launched an app on Windows Phone at one point. Um, hey, I mean, just, you're the other one. <laughs> it's like I mean, there was because there was that period where I was just I I didn't care too much about. Um, what I, it's like, it's not to say that I didn't care what I was making, but it's like, I, my goal was just to make, find that way to make that path where I could be as like, and uh, have a sustainable income from apps. And so I tried a bunch of that. I never really had much luck or success at all there. And so it never really, um, went far, but I've certainly launched, um, apps on a couple of different platforms just to see and experiment. And, um, especially in the period where they were like, you know, and like Amazon launched their app store. Um, on Google and it was like, I don't know, is this going to be a big deal? Maybe, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And so like being there on day one, like maybe that's a cool thing. And so I tried, you know, I did that. It didn't go anywhere. You know, I never really got any downloads from that app store, but, uh, there was a period where I tried that. But I mean, I think I always, it was like, I'm not a particularly like old Mac guy. Like it was, you know, I think many people in this community were Mac developers before yeah. they were iOS developers. Um, at least if you know, having, if you've been doing it for as long as I have, but my, you know, my background, um, it has nothing to, you know, I was a PC guy for the majority of my, you know, education, uh, sort of period. And I only got a Mac because I wanted to get TextMate when I was a rail on, a Ruby on Rails developer. <laughs> and like Tech, TextMate was the, was the, was the IDE that everyone yeah. used essentially. And so I needed to get a Mac. And so I bought a Mac so I could run TextMate. Um, and like I had nothing, I'd never used a Mac before. I didn't really like have this affinity for it or this thing. It was just a tool that I got. And it turned out working out well because then, you know, obviously I could become an app developer later. Um, but I didn't come to, like I've certainly have grown to have a tremendous affection for Apple. But at the time it was not like I was coming at it as a, like a diehard, you know, Apple fanboy. Right. There was no like loyalty to the brand, uh, early on. Yeah. That makes sense. No, no, I think it's, it's certainly, yeah, it's like early, early on, it was, it was, I mean, I enjoyed it and I liked it, but it was not something that I had that sort of this lifelong commitment to, um, that I, you certainly, if you imagine a, you know, a company like the Icon Factory or Panic or some of these really old, uh, bare bones, like there's some of these very old, like established Mac companies that have been here forever. And so when they came into iOS, it's from a very different perspective than someone who just sort of, you know, bought my first Mac probably the year before. Um, I started working on app development. And so it was, you know, it, it was a very recent thing uh, for me. So you had been doing like iOS development for a little while. I think you even had switched over to fully independent by this point, but then you, you were just trying lots of things. Like you had kind of a successful, um, uh, audio book kind of app and you yep. had a regular recipe book app. Yep. Um, but at some point you, you sort of started specializing a little bit in like health apps and yes. Apple watch apps. Yeah. And one thing that I'm where I came in on this timeline, I'm not sure which one of those kind of came first. So, so, so the first app I made that was a health and fitness app, and this was the app that I feel like has, I mean, until Widget Smith, I would say it was heads and shoulders. My, the, the most successful sort of app I ever made was an app called pedometer plus plus, which was is a step counting app uh, for iOS. And so I introduced this with, 
the iPhone 5S was when Apple added step counting capabilities to the, you know, sort of to the phone. But uh, they didn't ship any way of doing this uh, in a first party way. So like this capability existed, but it was entirely a third party opportunity. And I was the first person to write an app to take advantage of it. And they they had built an API for it, right? Or were you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they said there's an API uh, in core motion for this, but it was, I mean, it was the strangest couple of weeks of my life where I saw this, like, it was just like one slide at white one slide at WWDC that like Phil Schiller said, Hey, there's this cool motion coprocessor that, you know, does step counting. And he moved on. Didn't really, it wasn't a main feature of the five S it was just a thing that they talked about. And then, you know, they released the gold master SDK for, um, iOS that, you know, that afternoon. And there was no documentation for this anywhere, but I like look in the core motion header files and like there is, there's all the APIs for doing this in, you know, core motion. And so I have no, there's the simulator can't, uh, you know, ha- has no way of simulating steps, as you would imagine. So right. I like built, I built, I built an app entirely an app that week, entirely speculative, based on my guesses, based on how these headers would work in practice. And um, I, you know, sort of built the app, and it uh, w- went and camped out inside of my local Apple store on iPhone launch day, so that I could get an, you know, g- get an iPhone uh, as soon as they opened. You know, got my iPhone at like, you know, that st- Apple store opened at 10 a.m. I got my iPhone at, you know. 10, 10, 10, 15, ran back to my office, plugged it in, like tried the thing I worked. It didn't quite work, but you know, within a few hours, I was able to get a, a working version of the app and submitted that and, you know, was able to be as a result, kind of like the first person to, to, to have an app that did this. And that meant that, um, you know, Pinometer just became, it, it, it took on, took off and did well in a way that I'd never had any of my previous apps, uh, get there. And so health and fitness then became kind of my, my main focus for a while and I launched a bunch of different apps and then relatively shortly thereafter Apple launched uh, the Apple Watch and that became even more of an obvious place where I had this expertise and a bit of a brand around health and fitness and so turning that into uh, watch apps where it's all about health and fitness you know was an obvious steps and so like I launched a sleep tracker and a workout tracker and an activity app and it became kind of a thing that um, worked well for me. And I both, it was sort of, it worked well from a, a business perspective as well as also, um, I, I found very quickly that it's one of the most rewarding kinds of work um, I've ever done where uh, to feel like you're actually doing things that have a tangible benefit to someone else's life in a way that as much as it's like fun when I made an audiobook app that hear people say, oh, I love your app. It's cool. I listen to audiobooks. Um, it's a very different thing entirely when you hear about someone who, you know, is recovering from an injury and uses your app to be able to walk again um, and those yeah. kinds of things. It's a, it's a totally different um, a mindset. I mean, I, I hear about the thing about it too when I think about you with uh, dark noise and it's the sense of it's like you got someone's child to fall asleep. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it can be a, a tangible um, benefit in someone's life that is different than a lot of apps. And so once I got sort of a taste of that in the health and fitness space, um, it was something that I just wanted to keep doing and kind of have continued on, you know, to, to you know, to sort of to this day. Um, you know, I would say that it's certainly an area that I enjoy developing the most um, and still do, you know, spend a lot of time and effort on. Yeah. And like, You've talked about this a lot on your show, which everybody should, anybody who's an iOS developer should definitely go listen to uh, Under the Radar and maybe just listen to the whole back catalog because honestly, it's like a book of just knowledge being dumped in your brain. But uh, one thing that you kind of touched on at the beginning there was this idea that you'd go to WWDC and you'd look for new like uh, APIs or concepts. And then in this case, you 
you very quickly built an app around it and you were able to leverage that to be kind of the first one in the store to properly use this API. Was that, was that a strategy that came out of the experience of pedometer plus plus, or were you already doing that for years before that? Uh, I was doing that for years. I, I feel like that was, and I think it comes from that, those early days in the app store where there were so few apps that if you were the first one to do something, um, you had a better, ch- you had a reasonable chance of being successful. And I think that like for better or worse in sort of engendered in me this belief that being there on day one is super important. And I think it's much less important now than it was, um, in, in the early days, but it still certainly is a valuable thing. And it is a, it is a situation that time and time again has allowed me um, some edge over bigger companies, I think, or bigger development shops or whatever you kind of want to imagine that my ability, one of the, like one of the few things I have as one developer versus a team of 10 developers is I can move more quickly because I, I can't do as much as a team of 10 developers, but I can make a decision and run with it. And I don't have to communicate with someone else. I don't have to get approval. We don't need to have like a you know, sprint planning meeting. And then, you know, every two weeks have our, uh, you know, sprint reviews and all these things that you need to do when you have a bigger team that adds overhead. Um, and I can, I can, one of the few things that I have is that I can just see an opportunity, run with it and see what happens. And you can afford to fail. Yeah, exactly. Like if it doesn't work out, that's fine. Like it's, it's, it's cost me a couple of weeks of work. Um, and that's fine. In a way that if, you know, a larger company was going to, you know, it's like, okay, we need to, you know, they have a budget that they're thinking about. It's like, okay, we're going to invest, you know, $200,000 into the development of this app. Well, we better get our $200,000 back or someone's getting, you know, you know, someone's, someone's having a bad day. Right. Um, and so I think it, it's, it's a different situation for me. And that's something that um, those early years kind of engendered. And then I found, you know, in, uh, several times being there early has been helpful. Um, yeah, certainly with Widget Smith, that was absolutely the case. Um, and so it's, it's like, it's, it, I don't know, it, maybe it's just a bad, it's, it's, it's almost like a bad habit that just keeps being reinforced, um, but time and time again. Yeah. I like every year, uh, when the new version of iOS drops and everybody's sort of scrambling, uh, there's always, there's always the people who are calm because they're not scrambling and they're sort of making fun of everybody for scrambling. Sure. Um, and it's, it's probably true that for, 80% of people scrambling, it doesn't matter. But yeah. the 20% for for who it does matter uh, don't know who they are necessarily. And so, yeah, there's a little bit of a lottery aspect to it. Um, but but the more the more tickets you buy in the lottery, the higher your chances, something like that. Uh, <laughs> something like that. Because like at the same time, like I had I, I, day one iMessage apps. Yeah. Like I, I launched like five iMessage apps um, on day one of the iMessage app store. That was not a sound investment. Like that, that, that time I will never get back. <laughs> but the thing, the thing that's interesting though is you've built up, even among indie developers, a unique skill of launching apps. Like that alone, being able to turn something around quickly and turn something around of a high quality quickly is something that I feel like a lot of people don't have. And I assume you're very good at either copying and pasting uh, stuff from other apps so that you can quickly build out your setting screens and all that, or you have libraries. Um, But either way, like you've built up this ability to see a concept, build an idea or an app around it, and then very quickly execute on that and then feel the market out and see, is that, is that a thing that'll work? Um, and I don't, I don't think yeah. that's something that you would necessarily have been able to do for, for Widget Smith, for example, had you not done this, like you said, like 50 other times. 
Yeah, no, and I think that's very true. And I, I don't know, I think there is certainly an, an element of just my personality that um, I'm able to, um, I, I don't feel like, I think that it is it is a common challenge in this community to want everything to be 100% perfect. <laughs> to want to like their version one to be amazing, like to be just incredibly finely tuned and polished. And that is in many ways the ethos of the, uh, you know, the Apple community. Oh yeah. And, and I think there's a tension though, between obviously it's like you can have that desire, but you either, you have to be able to actually ship the app at the end of the day. And I think I have a reason, I think I have enough of a, a uh, it's like clear mindedness that I don't think I'm capable of shipping the apps that are like, I don't know, like worth that level of polish that I can't achieve the you know smoothness in animation or coolness of graphic design um, of some of the apps where it might make sense or be um, appropriate for that. I think, I think I have a reasonably good understanding of like what I can do and what I can't do. And I think that has helped me to be able to say like, okay, this is good enough. This is as good as I'm going to be able to get it. And then you know, certainly to your point, like it helps that I've built enough apps that, you know, when I'm building a setting screen or when I'm doing, um, you know, watch connectivity or there's a lots of like, there's lots of weird tar pits that I could get stuck in, um, in iOS development that I like, I have my little path, you know, elevated pathway or over that tar pit that I've built, um, because I've done it because I've built an app that failed, but I had to go down that road once before. Right. And so I have a, a big breadth of code that I can draw from and not have to solve, you know, like there's a lot, there's so many different problems that you have to solve when you make an app. And many of those problems I'm able to, I've already solved once before, or at least solved close enough to what I'm doing now that I can then repeat it, you know, and there's always the new stuff like, you know, building widgets. It's like, it's a whole new thing and it's Swift UI and it's a totally new um, technology that hadn't existed before. So like that part is completely fresh, but the part behind that um, I'm able to leverage a lot of what I've done and then just say like, this is good enough. Um, and know that if I ship something and it's good enough, I can then if it do, if it is successful, I can kind of justify myself and say, you will have the ability to come back and do extra polish and full of further development. And, you know, I always ship an app with, um, you know, hundreds of features that I wish I could have built into it. Right. But, um, I just have to I have a little tradition that there's always this point where I put up my like no new feature sign and I, I physically will write down on a piece of giant piece of paper. I write no, no new features. And then I stick that onto my computer. <laughs> um, and at, at that point in, in the development of an app, I, I, I am not allowed to add new features. I'm only allowed to do bug fixes. And I've had to do it to that point where like, it's this kind of silly, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a fun tradition now, but it's a physical thing that I need to do to be constantly reminded that like, nope, this is good enough. This is good enough to ship. You know, you've decided this is enough. And if I, if I don't have that kind of relentlessness, um, you know, I would never be able to be there um, on day one. And, uh, or at least, and, and the reality is uh, for many of my projects, I don't think I would ever ship them. Like, I think if you, if you, if you chase after, um, the, the like perfection unicorn, you're just going to be chasing it forever to some degree. You at some point have to say like, this is fine. Um, and you're, you're all in your head about the difference of what, you know, this last, that last little 1% will make, um, when it's in the reality that that 1% is unlikely to be the difference between an app working, uh, and an app not working. Yeah. And being independent means there isn't necessarily a pressure on you to get it out right now. And so it's probably even easier to just sort of let that 
just keep going, oh, I just need a couple more things. I just need a couple more things. No, exactly. I think it's an absolute trap that because there is no boss. There is no like person, you know, filling in your TPS report being like, where is this feature? Why isn't it done? It's like, it's entirely up to you. And so you have to have the discipline to kind of look at what you look at your work and decide when it's ready um, and be thoughtful about that. I wonder too, if, if having put so many apps out there um, and having like a reputation that's very solid, like you do, if that helps a little bit too, because I, I know for me, like there's an element of when I put something out there, like right now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get an app out the door that is literally just, it's going to be totally free. It's just for, uh, for teachers because my wife's a teacher and I built this little thing for her to replicate, uh, you know, document cameras that like, they're just cameras that point down. Yeah. Um, it basically, it just lets you turn your iPhone into that because she suddenly had to become a virtual teacher and needed to show kindergartners how to draw the letter C yeah. and doesn't have, you know, you can't do that in person and it's kind of hard to do with a webcam. Sure. Um, so I just built it really quick and I was like, oh, I should just release this uh, because maybe some other people will use it. And I've noticed as it's been however many months since uh, school started that even though I can say all these words out loud, this is just a quick thing. I know it's not a big deal. I am over polishing this thing that I'm going to make no money on and like probably isn't even really adding value to the people who need it versus me getting it out faster. Yeah. But because this will be the second app I've ever released and there's this feeling of it being part of my reputation and like I'm, sure. my identity is wrapped up in that. Right. And for you, I feel like, and maybe, uh, maybe this isn't the case. Maybe every time you push an app out, you still get uh, all the butterflies and you get very nervous about it, but all the butterflies that never goes away. Oh, you do. <laughs> never goes away. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> never mind. That theory just totally goes out the window. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I do think, I, I think you're on, you're onto something in the right direction though, that there is something that is, it feels different when you're starting out because that you have less of a portfolio to lean to lean on that you want to make sure that everything that you is in your portfolio is something that you're proud of yeah um and i think that that is that that is certainly true and i think that is you know that is still the case for me that like when i ship something i want it to not be like huh i guess he's off his game and you know he's yeah he's, he's, you know dave's going downhill now like uh, i certainly don't want that that's true you've got a reputation to hold up so to speak so it kind of works uh in either direction. I, but I think maybe it is more just having experience of like, there are so many features and things that I've spent days or weeks working on that no one noticed or cared about that I thought would be important at the time that I've made that mistake enough times to know that I shouldn't get too stuck in into the weeds about things. And that it's much like more often the pattern is I ship something and the first week that the app is out there is when I actually discover all of the things that I really should have been spending that time on. Um, that here is, it's like, actually, here's this thing that if, if your app did this, it would be way better. Um, and it's hard to know those and get so like tunnel visioned on your version of how people will use the app. Um, and the, when it actually goes out in the world, it could be totally different. And, you know, for all, it's like for all you know, you think you're building an app that you think is really uh, helpful for teachers. There may be this entire other group of people when they see it that this is transformative and amazing for them, and you know it becomes super excited about. Like you never like there's no way to know that until it's actually out in the world. Um, and so that was I think a pattern that I've seen many times for myself. That it's like I need to have a little bit of just like 
you know, it's like be thoughtful about shipping just enough to to, to get the to get the idea across, um, and not get too too all in my head about it. But it it's not easy for sure. And I guess speaking of uh, that concept of putting something out and then realizing there's a giant market uh, to the side of that that is excited about it, let's talk about Widget Smith. Sure. So normally, uh, I ask the question when we start uh, talking about an app: Where did this idea come from? Why did you decide to build this? But in this case, uh, if you've followed your career at all, the answer to that seems like obvious. Like I think everybody just assumed you were going to make this app because was it last year that you came out with Watchsmith? Uh, that's just it was just the spring. Oh my goodness, that was this year. Okay, wow. I think it was this year. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not totally sure on that. I mean, time's a bit weird yeah. in 2020, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it was either the end of last year or the beginning of this year uh, that I launched Watchsmith. So very recently, uh, you came out. You came out with an app that basically was. Hi, I'm David Smith, and I'm an expert at the Apple Watch. Here's a whole bunch of things uh, that you can do with the Apple Watch. And essentially, Widgetsmith is, or sorry, Watchsmith is you taking, I don't know, like a decade of iOS development experience and trying to push all of that, uh, all of those ideas into uh, complications for the Apple Watch. Yeah. That you can use to like hyper customize. Uh, your Apple Watch face, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it were just in generally, it's this sense of, so I've, I love what developing for the Apple Watch. And I think both in the health and fitness space and just generally, I've always enjoyed that. And so Watchsmith was this app where I kept getting frustrated by it's hard to market watch apps because there's just not, I mean, the, the watch app marketplace is very thin to start with. And so I kept having these ideas for like, what if I made an app that did this or a complication that did that? And I was going to end up with like 20 apps in the watch app store. And I just didn't think that was going to be tenable. And so I ended up instead trying to like combine that into one big app that did like everything you could imagine and gave me an outlet that anytime I had a watch idea, I could just added into it and it wouldn't be silly and would make sense and I could kind of hopefully build like a an audience of people who like that kind of thing on the watch that was sort of the initial idea for it and it became as a result it's like this app that I can throw anything into and be super customizable and you know it's like an app that has it has calendar calendaring workouts weather games uh time zone coordination like all kinds of very you know, just distinct features that are just like all smushed together. Um, and I feel like it kind of works in this app. And the way that uh, complications on the Apple Watch work is you sort of get this little space where you can not to get too technical, but like you can use uh, and you did use Swift UI for Watchsmith, correct? The uh, app itself is written in Swift UI. The complications didn't use Swift UI at the time because that wasn't available. Okay. Oh, that was new. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but either way, it used this kind of timeline concept. Um, that's sort of a weird thing, and lots of watch developers uh, complain about it. But like I said, you've lived in this world uh, for a while, and you've yeah. you've gotten very comfortable in that. Um, and so that came out, and I, it seemed like that was pretty successful. Lots of people really liked it. It was sort of a, a experiment for you, business wise, right? Because that was a, a that was one of your, like your first subscription apps. Yes, that was uh, so. The only other ex- I, I, years ago, I launched an RSS uh, syncing service called Feed Wrangler, and that was a subscription. But um, uh, Watchsmith was my first app that had a subscription in it. Okay, so so that came out, did well, um, seemed to be like a really good idea, and it it was like came out mid cycle. It wasn't necessarily like your uh, on day one of iOS. I'm taking advantage of a new feature. It was just kind of this cool platform that took 
all this experience that you've done and, and built it into a cool app. Yeah. And I just checked it. It was, it was April 8th was okay. when I launched wow. it of this year. Yeah. So that was even like, uh, into the pandemic. So in pandemic season. Yeah. Wow. You're like uh, Taylor Swift, uh, releasing yeah. two, uh, big things in the same <laughs> quarantine period in, in, in a couple of months. Yeah. Uh, so, so then WWDC happened, uh, that was in June and they announced, uh, widgets, you know, for your home screen and, I don't know if it was during the session, but very quickly during the uh, uh, the developer sessions, it became obvious that the way widgets work is taking all these ideas from uh, the Apple Watch and kind of moving them into uh, iOS. The way that they update, yeah. the way that a lot of the APIs work, it's it's very clearly similarly based, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is. I don't think it shares code necessarily, but the function and the concept behind them is identical. Right. Yeah. That's a good way of phrasing it. So I, at least speaking for myself, I think I, I may have even made a Twitter joke like right away, like, oh, this seems like an obvious case for Widget Smith. And I think it like everybody even just assumed that name um, because Watchsmith is such a clever name anyway. Um, and it just sort of feeds into it. So this felt like uh, at least from the outsider perspective, this felt like an obvious like uh, app for you to make. Was that how it felt for you whenever you were watching this? I mean, it- I think it became interesting. So, well, originally what I was going to do was add widgets to Watchsmith. Oh, okay. Um, that, that was the original, like, way I thought about this because I thought of, it's like, well, you know, I, I can kind of make, it's like it's complications, but for your phone. Um, and I was kind of, the first, like, month of the, after WDC, I went down the road of, I was, it was like, it was, you know, complications for your phone. Um, cause I, I had this very still like watch focused, um, mindset on it. Um, and there were also, there were a bunch of new improvements in watch OS that allowed me to make the complications there better. And so it was like, oh, maybe I can like kind of share the work between these two. And, you know, they're both, they can be, both be based on Swift UI and, um, I can have complications for your phone as well as your watch. Um, and I ended up like, I just, I mean, you know, 2020, things don't quite turn out how you plan, <laughs> but um, I ended up, it's like, I just didn't have time to kind of go down that road. Um, and it was like, okay, I'm I'm not going to get this finished if I keep trying to have something that works as both widgets and complications at the same time. Like I was just, it was too hard to balance those two things. And so instead it was like, okay, I just need to um, sort of cut off this separately and make a, a a widget focused version of this um, that made that simplifies a lot of the problems and a lot of the logic that I was dealing with before when I was trying to make it kind of work with, uh, uh, you know, something that could work on a watch as well as a, a phone. And so once I did that switch, um, it became sort of that became sort of it was like Widget Smith was the obvious name, and it just kind of went down that road. And um, for a while, actually, all summer, I've been work I was working on a. a a weather app as well, like a completely separate uh, thing. Cause I was like, w- I think weather apps are going to be very imp- like big with widgets. And then it became the same thing. It was like, I just ran out of time and I ended up having to decide, do I want to ship my weather app or do I want to ship w- 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 widgets? Oh, wow. <laughs> and it's like, there were, there was a, there was a period of time where I could have ended up just shipping the weather app, not widget Smith. And you know, that, that would have been a very different uh, end of my summer. Yeah. No kidding. Um, but yeah, I chose Widget Smith, and it turns out I guess I made the right choice to put you know Watchsmith uh, on the back burner, put the weather app on the back burner, and uh, instead just ship um, Widget Smith as my primary like big update um, for iOS 14. Uh, and you know it's like it, it made sense. It certainly leveraged a lot of what I'd learned from Watch OS uh, from Watchsmith, where 
like technically i don't think they share almost any code um other than a few bits of like astronomical calculation stuff mm. um they're very very separate and actually like widget smith is written entirely in swift ui um in terms of the ios app as well as the widgets right. which uh watchsmith is i is ui kit on the ios side and uh swift ui only on the watch um but i just like rewrote all that in swift ui and learned swift ui and um kind of went down that road and yeah i guess it kind of worked it worked out in the end <laughs> that's it's wild to think like but it makes sense uh at first the idea was this is sort of a cool add-on concept to watchsmith yeah um but we, nobody knew w- if widgets were really going to be popular or not um I think everybody has the specter of the messages app store yep. sort of living in the back of their mind and you don't want to necessarily overinvest in this concept that might not pan out a lot. So, yeah. So whenever you did launch and you got this out on like on day one or well within that weird 24 hour period after they announced that suddenly iOS 14 was going to drop that it was like ready right away. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I submitted it within an hour of I, uh, app store connect of accepting new applications. Um, and so it was, uh, yeah, I, I was able to turn it around very quickly in that last hour. And I think that's certainly an experience where it's like, I have, sh- you know, I have submitted apps to iTunes connect or now app store connect, you know, probably thousands of times yeah. over the, over the 12 years. And so like that process is second nature to me now. And so I have certainly a benefit of th- that particular process of like, what assets do I need? What do I need to watch out for? What do I need to put in the review notes? Because I use health kit. If you don't say mm, in, the re- yeah. in the review notes that you use health kit, then you're lined up with all this. Like I know where all those like bear traps are. And so, um, it was able to get it in and submit it. And it, you know, it, it launched as soon as iOS 14 launched um, as a result. Which for an app like Widgetsmith or Watchsmith, there's probably a lot of those bear traps because because it's so wide in its uh, breadth. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. Yes. No, I, I use it's. I mean, I use almost every ma- major iOS <laughs> uh, like framework that isn't a game game based framework. Like, yeah, I was gonna say other than like ARKit, uh, <laughs> it seems yeah. like you're hitting everything. It's like, I use everything else. It's like c- calendars, reminders, um, watch stuff. Uh, yeah. Ca- uh, Let's see. Yeah, I don't even know. All, all of them, all the health kit stuff. Um, I, I, it's a very wide thing that um, there's a lot of fit. Yeah, there's a lot of traps that you can fall into if you're not careful. So when it when it came out, did, what were your expectations? Were you kind of setting your baseline based on Watchsmith? Um, so I thought yeah, my, my goal for it, like internally, was that I would love for it to have half of the users of Watchsmith. Um, that I thought widgets on the phone would be less compelling than co- complications on the watch. Um, that was my expectation. And so I set out hoping that Watchsmith, uh, so it would be about half of the, the success that Watchsmith had. And Watchsmith did well, but it didn't do like, you know, it wasn't tremendous. It was just, it did a nice, like it was a nice solid, like would, would you know, forms a part of the portfolio and is in a kind of a comfortable ongoing thing. Like it was never like it wasn't a blockbuster. It just, it found its audience. And my hope was that like half of its audience would be interested in widgets on the watch uh, or widgets of, you know, widgets um, on their iPhones. Which it makes sense because for the, like, while there's obviously way more iOS users than watch OS users, uh, complications are like, everybody has a complication on their watch. Basically it's, yeah. it's paramount to the experience. Whereas nobody really knew if widgets would just kind of be this power user feature, which was kind of who yeah. you were targeting initially, right? Yeah. Well, and I, I think, but I, my sort of naive version of this was that people would want to use the widgets of the main app that they were using for a particular use case. 
So like if you mm. do your calendaring in Fantastical, you'll want the Fantastical widget. Right. And if you're tracking your steps in Pedometer Plus Plus, you'll use Pedometer Plus Plus, not um, Widgetsmith. And so that's where in my mind, it's this only these people who really want to customize and tweak and schedule widgets will use this app. Um, and so it was a much more narrow use case than kind of the broad use case um, that I thought, you know, Watchsmith isn't particularly broad, but it's more broad certainly than um, I, th- I, at least, you know, I naively thought w- widgets would be. So when it launched, uh, at least like right away, did it, was it kind of tracking with what you were expecting? Yeah. It, 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 the first three days were exactly what I thought they would be. Um, like it was, it, it had a little bit of buzz and a little bit of interest within the iOS sort of developer community and had, you know, it, it, its downloads were kind of what I was thinking where they'd be like on track to be about half to maybe two thirds of what Watchsmith was um, less successful. But, you know, there's interest, but not you know, sort of dramatic, significant interest in it. Um, I think that was, and that's sort of within those first few days, that's what I thought um, was going to happen. And then when did you, when did you start noticing that things were not uh, following that same trend line? Yeah. So I launched, well, the amusing thing about that is, so I launched them and then actually, so it launched on whatever it was, I think it was Wednesday. And then that Friday, uh, we actually went on vacation um, with my family. Okay. Uh, to, and it, and so, like, because I thought it's like, oh, you know, it's, it'll do this nice little quiet thing. And then I launched it, and kind of everything seemed what, as I was expecting, nothing weird there. And so I went um, went on vacation, and then you know, periodically I just would, which was checking in my uh, to, to my help desk just to make sure that like everything, nothing, had, there was no big, you know, horrible bugs or anything. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Um, and I noticed that I was getting lots. Like, I thought that my e- the email support for Widgetsmith had gotten like onto some weird like spam list because I was getting these very unusual for my first week launch support. Like a lot of people in the first week of launch, like they'll like dear underscore. Yeah, right. Like, they know who you are. Like it, it's to me, it's people who I know rather than I was getting these very short kind of like unusual support requests. And it's kind of had that feeling of like some spam bot had just gotten a hold of my email address and it was just like, and then, and the, the, the volume of it was very much higher than I was expecting. You know, it's like, I'm starting to get, you know, several emails uh, a minute with <laughs> very short, um, kind of specific things. Like, it's like, why no work? Um, you know, it's like app bad. Why you do this? Um, and stuff like, and it's like, I don't like, what is going on? And then it wasn't until several hours later. Um, like I, that started happening in the morning of Friday. And then, um, that afternoon, um, we went, like went for a walk with my family and we came back and someone on Twitter was just like, Hey, here's this, uh, link to this video on TikTok That's like having some traction. And like, it was like, I had no idea. I didn't know this person on Twitter. I didn't know this person on uh, TikTok. And at this point, like this video had, you know, I think it was in the, in the tens of millions of views and the video was basically go download Widgetsmith. It's amazing. You can make your home screen super aesthetic. Um, and like that, that was the, like the beginning of this wild ride for the next, uh, few <laughs> days, weeks, months. I don't know. It's about three months ago that this happened now. And, um, it has been completely at me. Like it, it, it's gone off in a way that I have no, I, I don't even have words to understand, um, <laughs> compared to all of my other stuff uh, previously. So do you think that that, that TikTok video is the, is the like video that caused it to take off or was that TikTok video jumping on some phenomenon that was happening or you probably have no idea as I mean, it's hard to know for sure. As far as I know, there's that particular video, um, uh, was the thing that was the, like the catalyst that 
sort of accelerated out it out. But it was a really well done video. Like the the woman who did it, um, like it was it was a be- it was a better tutorial for using the app than I ever made. Um, and it was like in thirty seconds, she totally kind of nailed the, the this whole ability of the app that I had no concept of. That you can use Widgetsmith to make your home screen look pretty. Um, and look just the way you like. And that was not something that I had any concept for when I was making it. Like the styling and the customization in many ways were just holdovers from Watchsmith where it made, it was a very important on the watch that you can like make it fit in with your other complications. And so I had just kind of followed those through um, into Widgetsmith. And she picked up on this and, you know, it just kind of took off from there. And it, you know, very quickly it went from rather than getting a, a couple customer support emails a, a minute, it was getting, you know, several per second, um, that I was, um, getting into. And it like, it was a, you know, all of a sudden I'm at a completely different scale, um, than I've ever had that, you know, it's like the app was being downloaded more times, you know, in that first day than I think all my other apps have ever been downloaded in the 12 years <laughs> of my, um, you know, career. Bananas. Uh, it's a totally different kind of world. Yeah. And like, I'll, I'll link to it, assuming you can link to TikTok videos. I think I can, uh, in the, yeah, in the show notes. Um, I, I attempted to make like a parody of it, uh, because I'm a dork and please don't look for it. Cause it doesn't exist anymore. But I was astounded. I watched it. I don't know how many times, uh, again, cause I was trying to make a parody of it, but like, it's like, I don't know. People make fun of like TikTok influencer people probably I'm sure, but like it is legitimately, an impressive video in terms of how yeah. in this incredibly condensed amount of time, she very quickly showed off what you could do and how you can do it. And I can't comprehend, uh, how somebody can be that good at communicating that effectively. <laughs> it was, yeah. it is legitimately impressive. And, uh, it's probably, if you're trying to market your own thing, it's probably worth going on TikTok and finding influencer people and just watching how they communicate these ideas and little snippets, because it really is genuinely impressive. Yeah, I think there's there's an absolute economy about if you you had like I think it's I don't know I don't know if TikToks are limited to thirty seconds, but it seemed like that's a very common duration, and it's like it's enough time to get an idea across, but you have to be very thoughtful, lots of hard cuts, lots of really careful choice of words. Um, that was yeah, it was super impressive and. Um, I mean, it's, I think it, it is one of those, it's like we were saying with many of these things, it's like, it's an expertise. It's yeah. a, it's a skill yeah. that some people have and some people, you know, it's like, I don't think I have that ability. At least it's, I haven't spent enough hours working on it, um, to have it, but there are certainly people who have that ability and have that skill to be able to turn something around and make it really sharp and make it really punchy and, you know, hook people in the first few, you know, first few seconds, because that's the nature of the medium. If you, if you, you know, if it's not interesting in the first few seconds, they're going to flip to the next one. Um, so it's, it's a really cool, like, it's a really interesting sort of way of communication. So as, as this, uh, as this app is like just skyrocketing into the stratosphere and all of us in the community are just sort of like, this is so cool. And we're all excited. I assume that you're, you're putting out fires, something that must've been highly stressful must've been happening on your end, but I don't really know what that would be. Is it like support? Uh, was that, oh yeah. I mean, a it's. So I, I don't know. I don't even know how many different. There were there were many forms of stress that uh, that that first week and that many of them which continue to this day. Um, so it, certainly, it's things just are at a different scale. So like on the help desk side, you know, typically, um, usually my, my I you know like my wife handles a lot of the help desk for me when it's just sort of like a like a family business style, mm-hmm. I guess. Like she does a lot of the help desk and lets me know if there's particular problems and things. Did you already have like a system or was it just straight email? Yeah, it's like we have a help desk okay, system. Cool. So it's like we use, I think, Help Scout um, to, oh, do, perfect, to manage perfect. it. Just, 
Um, and they, um, and like usually she responds to everybody who writes in, like she'll write them an email and tell you know, we have a one-to-one interaction and, you know, sometimes it's simple. Sometimes there's a few snippets that she like will use because it's a common question, but you know, there's a one-to-one interaction with everyone. Um, and it's like very quickly became like, at first we're like, okay, let's just try and keep up. <laughs> and it's, you know, the, you know, you're in trouble when you, you're, you're going into your help desk system, you're trying to click on an email and in the time it takes for you to push your mouse button down, like it's the list has already live scrolled like six slots down and you're clicking on a new My one. Goodness. Like it's just, everything is just, it's it just nothing scaled. And so, okay, very quickly, it was like, we need to have an autoresponder. So we just like said, we can't talk to, you know, we can't talk to people one-on-one anymore. Let's write a, you know, write an email that's like the common questions we're getting and try and kind of like multiply our support as a result. So we'd like read a bunch, see what the questions were, and then add that to our autoresponder that went out to everybody and just kind of started turning that around um, so that we could put it down. And then there's obviously like just the day one technical stuff um, and especially widgets, especially in iOS 14.0.0. Like widgets had a lot of problems um, in it because like what you'd ex- like what you'd expect, and you know, and suddenly I rather than dealing with a few thousand people, I'm dealing with a few million people um, who are having that problem, and so every edge case is being hammered. Like yes, I, I explored every single edge case about. I mean, I'm sure I have generated many, lots of great feedback for the uh, widget, you know, widget kit team at iOS because man, yeah, anything that could go wrong did go wrong, and it's not just the scale. Like, because if my app had scaled at the same level, at least my app would be hitting it from the single angle of my style widgets. But like we just talked yeah. about, <laughs> your widgets are have an insane breadth, uh, every API interacting with widgets specifically. Yeah. And then you add that scale on top of it. Yeah. That's, uh, kind of astounding to think about. <laughs> yeah. So like I, I, there was just the technical side of like trying to get app- updates down. And obviously too, like people were using the app in a way that it had nothing to do with the way that I intended it to be built. Um, and so it was very quickly, like I need to add features that uh, emphasize and uh, sort of accentuate this new use case that people have invented for the app. Um, and I need to very, you know, ideally do this quickly because right. I don't want people to keep asking me for features that, um, I, you know, I can build. And I, you know, it's so like I needed to, for example, make it so that there's uh, a widget that just shows a single picture. Um, which is by far the most used widget, um, I think in Widgetsmith. And originally I didn't have that. Like I had a thing where, oh, you can like, it can, you can choose a photo album and it will randomly show you a different uh, picture yeah. throughout the day, kind of like mirroring Apple's thing. It's like, no, people just want it to be a picture frame. Um, it's so like, it was a lot of the technical side of that. Um, and then just, yeah, just honestly, there was a weird, this is the weird part about it, it was like dealing with the, 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 the attention, mm-hmm. um, it, it, you know, I'm generally, and it's like, I have a reasonable audience, um, you know, in the iOS developer community, but it's like, there's, you know, whatever, I think I have like 20,000 people who follow me on Twitter, which is incredible and mind bending from like where I started. Um, but it's, and like, I know those people and I understand those people and it's in a place that I understand, I can feel comfortable in. Um, and it was weird and challenging to be like, do I want to be um, a, a public figure do i want to um how do you how do you navigate this like if i you know like there were articles being written about widget smith in like glamour magazine right. which like i i i don't even know how to comprehend or process <laughs> that um at, at some at some level and like do i want to be interviewed for that like do i want to be a public figure in in that way or do i kind of just like my kind of like quiet developer life your whole career you were probably tuned to uh anybody asking for anything 
you're kind of like, yes, because yeah. I need, you know, I'm trying to build a business. And all of a sudden, it's like a fire hose gets released and you have to start making yes, no decisions that before may have been easy. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and I, I don't know. And then, and especially in this weird context of like, and like I, in a weird way, like I, I thought back to the, do you know the story of the Flappy Bird um, developer? Yes. Well, I generally uh, that like he got overwhelmed as well, right? Yeah. And he got overwhelmed. I think he started getting like some unwanted and potentially dangerous attention. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like it, it becomes a totally different thing, right? When you're like, when you think of the life of someone who is well-known or in the public, in the public space, like it's not all great. Um, and so to be sort of suddenly um, faced with these kinds of questions um, was, was, was tough. And it's like, it's wonderful and it's exciting, but it's also terrifying. Yeah. Um, and so there was a lot of that of trying to work out like none of my, essentially, I guess the short version is none of my experience or strategies or, or uh, experiences scaled like this. <laughs> Like none of them worked at the scale. Um, and, um, it's just, so it was a lot of just trying to work through and navigate that and see like, what did I ultimately want, you know, my personal side of the story to be, um, and you know, how much did I care about that? You know, was it important to me that people knew that I made Widgetsmith or was it just important to me that people used Widgetsmith? Um, like those are kind of some weird questions that I had to kind of work through. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause one of the things you've talked about on, on your show a lot with Marco is like, at least initially, I don't know if this is still the case. You you always tried to make everything like personal. You'd use I. You'd say yeah. You you'd put David at the end of your you know emails or whatever. Um, and that that was like an intentional choice. And now, like you said, you're kind of being thrown into the wolves of this way broader market of people and all those decisions. Yeah, you sort of have to like remake. Like, is this what I want to do? Is this healthy? Yeah. Um, I assume you're still wrestling with that to a degree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it's it's. I mean, thankfully, it's like in a, for for better and worse. Like, Widget Smith is is do, continues to do well, but is not like it's not the talk of the town right. anymore. It's not the thing that it it was for those couple of weeks when it was um, really taking off. And so, um, I you know things settled down, but it was definitely a really weird experience to kind of have that sense of like the quote unquote, like, Oh, like overnight success of suddenly, you know, you're being written about all over the place and it's the, you know, it's like the app of the moment. And it's, that was just a really unexpected aspect of it. And it was really complicated to decide, like, you know, it's a weird thing to say, but it's like, I like, I don't. And in the end, for most of it, it's like, I did decided I, I didn't really want to be famous. Like I didn't really want to, go down that road because um, I feel like I could have, but I don't think that was me. And I don't think in the long term, it would have been what I wanted that I would have just been like, you know, had my 15 minutes of fame and then faded away. Like I, that's, that's, that doesn't sound nearly as nice as um, it, as I feel like it sort of theoretically could be. Yeah. Yeah. I, another thing too, uh, I had Brian Mueller on uh, who makes carrot yeah. uh, a couple episodes ago. And one of, one of the things we were talking about, I don't know if this is in the episode or not, but, uh, we were talking about kind of the the weather API world, you know, it got kind of gotten shaken up a little bit by uh, Dark Sky being acquired. And we had the realization while we were talking uh, how like you had wisely uh, put recurring revenue in front of the the features of your app that cost you money regularly, yeah. which would include weather. Um, yeah. But one of the one of the interesting things about the app store is that the way payments work is they're delayed by like a month after 
the month that you yes. got it is over. And so mm-hmm. during this period of time, and I don't feel free to like skip this if I don't know, I don't want to get into like financials, but I know it's fine. Was there any weird things with uh, the sudden scale of how this app is being used and like the cost of things as that scale is coming in that you presumably weren't expecting? Yes. Yeah. So, well, the the, the, the good story, it's not a good story. It's a, it's a painful <laughs> story, but a, it's an interesting story um, was so, yeah. So I, I, all of the actual, like the, the, my API costs are typically are behind are for, you know, for paid users of the app uh, because they have, you know, it's just, that makes sense. It right. sort of scales appropriately and it seemed like a good place to put a paywall. Imagine if it wasn't. <laughs> oh, well, well, this is, that's, that's the, that's the interesting part of the story um, because so usually what I do in the app is when I'm showing you um, the weather widgets before you've paid is I show you example data. So I show like I, I just have like um, some fake data that I you know put into the app so you can get a sense of what it looks like, but I'm not actually making a server request every time that any user launches um, the, the widget the, the widget editor. Um, you know, it's, I only actually show real data if you're a paid subscriber. Right. Otherwise I show example data and that makes sense. And that was what I thought I'd uh, done for this app. That's what I do in, in Watchsmith. It turned out that in Widgetsmith, um, I had commented out the line of code that showed the example data. Um, because I think it was when I was doing screenshots, um, I wanted to have live data in it. And so I just like had commented it out. And so it was just always showing live data. So I have more accurate screenshots, um, as I was doing things and I'm not like, sometimes the simulator doesn't get in-app purchases. And so it was easier to just like hard code it to just like always show live, live data. Um, and I discovered this, um, the day after the craziness ha- launch happened, when I, you know, go and log into my weather provider, and the scale of requests that I'm making is um, very large, <laughs> um, certainly larger than I was expecting. Um, and you know, it's like ultimately, it's not like it was like the, 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 it ended up. Being, it was fine. Like the number, of the you know, sort of the, the quantities of money that I'm talking about were orders of magnitude higher than I was expected. And once I, I very quickly fixed that bug and you know uncommented that line of code, and then things got back to normal. But you know, there were two days where um, the app was, you know, every, every single person was making a weather request, and so it got very expensive very quickly. Um, was this the two days before it it took off like a rocket, or was this after? No, no, this is okay. after. This is, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have noticed this if it hadn't been for the crazy like rocket ship like takeoff because, um, you know, it would have just it wouldn't have it would have been at a low enough level that it would have been I would have just like assumed that's the baseline, right? Um, because it you know it's you know when you're talking about a few you know it's a few. If, like a few thousand users, it's not a big deal. But when it became millions of people, it became a, a very big deal very quickly. Yeah. Um, so, um, yes, that was a bit um, that was a bit challenging. And I mean, th- thankfully, I mean, you're living with a lot of those things with like the the, the cash flow perspective. You know, even though that Apple's you know uh, payments are delayed, so is like my credit card payment. You right. Know, like I, most of that stuff is paid for by my my business credit card, and so I didn't. The two kind of roughly evened out, so I wasn't in this really this really awkward position where um, I, I needed to, you know, pay for the weather data before I got my money from Apple. Um, you know, the, the, the two synced up close enough that it was fine. Yeah. Thank goodness for uh, the increased app review times or uh, decreased app review times then, I guess. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> that would have been oh, sure. well, that, brutal. And there were definitely, uh, I, th- I think, it's hard to know for sure, but I do think that there was a period of time where I was in some special magic queue um, at AppReview um, because I would submit an app uh, app update and it would be in review within a few minutes and uh, 
like either approved or rejected within like 10 minutes. Wow. And it was one of those, like, apparently at some scale, like I was, they were clearly looking at me, um, in a way that, um, I've never experienced before. It's not that way anymore. Like it's, I, I, but like, fair enough. If, you know, if some new app is suddenly having huge amounts of attention placed on it, I hope that Apple gives it extra special attention. Yeah. And, you know, I would imagine it's going to like their a, you know, their a, a plus plus, app reviewers super experienced know what they're doing um like it goes straight to them because it's good for the you know it's good for the app developer it's good for the app store and then it makes sure that there's not like you know i have this weird thing where i'm i have this big wildly successful app and then suddenly i'm doing something super shady like they want to catch that right, right away so like it, it made it makes sense that that was the case but it was definitely i was very thankful for um these very very unexpectedly quick uh, app reviews i will say during that first like week or two uh after it launched app review times were kind of astounding like um i i got stuck in a in a corner of the app review warehouse or something uh right at launch so yeah. i ended up sitting there and waiting but then whenever i finally gave in and like reject self-rejected and resubmitted sure. i was approved in less than like 30 minutes i think um okay so maybe it wasn't even just me so yeah well it's possible i presumably they would especially like as widget smith became sort of like every article written about how widgets were taking off would include widget smith and so sure seems like it would be within apple's interest to uh to make sure that the example of widgets for their platform was able to get bug fixes in quickly <laughs> yeah but yeah no that that's so wild and i i don't know you personally this is literally the first time we've talked but uh it it's been cool seeing the community like rally around you like i feel like normally when one of these things happens there's a lot of sort of fomo like people are sure uh like oh i wish i would have done everything and i'm sure there's people that felt that here but the general consensus among almost everybody i've seen has just been excitement because you're sort of this sure yeah person that's been in the community been helpful and kind for so long um and so we've all deeply enjoyed uh watching your success and you share your experience with it which we all get to sort of enjoy. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that was really gratifying. Like I said, like, I think these kinds of things can go, can go very nicely or go very poorly. Yeah. Um, like it, it could have very easily also been something that the community turned on me and was like, I'm a sellout now or whatever. Like you could, um, it, it could have gone e either way. And it was certainly very gratifying and, and comforting that Brian large, the, the response was positive and it was encouraging. And it was people who, um, like in some ways felt uh, in a weird way, it's a weird thing to say, but it, it kind of felt like a lot of people had this, this small sense of ownership yes, in the success. Absolutely. Um, that, that it's like, we've all been these sort of aspiring independent app developers for years and kind of it's the, the, the dream is in some ways always that, you know, Hey, at some point you'll hit on something and it will like take off in a wild way. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, tried and i've tried that you know 56 times and failed and it turned out the 57th time was the the time that it happened and i feel like i've should we've sort of been on this journey as a community enough that it was just really encouraging and, and gratifying that that was the, the response that i got from most people was that it was a positive one and a nice one and that people felt good about it rather than you know i'm sure i mean i'm, I'm sure it was still wasn't universal right. i imagine you know it's 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 complicated i mean i know for myself it's it's a complicated thing when you I see someone else in our community succeed like I have two, I have two feelings about that. Like I feel both really encouraged and good about that. And it also sometimes it's like, oh man, I should have done that. Um, and so like, I know that those feelings are out there and I try and be like respectful of that in terms of the way that I, 
talk about my experience here, but um, overall, yeah, it's super encouraging. And I mean, it's just, I love our community even, even more having gone through this experience. Yeah. I think, I think part of the, part of it is unlike a lot of times whenever these sort of overnight successes happen, uh, you have publicly been the overnight success that's been 10 years in the making. Like everybody knows yeah. how much blood, sweat and tears you put into the last 10 years. And so it's hard for me to look at Widgetsmith and be like, oh, I should have just done that because I know I couldn't have just done that. I would also have needed to do all all the work. I mean, I feel like we kind of laid it out here. Like your career has sort of led to you being able to do what you did here. Yeah. Um, and maybe obviously like I, somebody could make a widget that did certain things and could have struck gold too, but it wasn't just luck to end up with, with widget Smith. Uh, it, it is a career and a skill set that you've built that, that led to this. And so it's a little bit easier to enjoy the success of somebody when you don't feel like, Oh, I could have just done that easily. <laughs> sure. I mean, it, it's, maybe it's, it helps that it's not like the, you know, we think of back in the old days of the web where it was like the, the million dollar, um, pixel yeah, guy yeah. who just like <laughs> made a website that was you could buy a pixel for a dollar and he made a million dollars like it's there is there's certainly a, a, a an element that it's it it's nice when it there's an element of craftsmanship in it that it isn't just having a cool idea like the idea i didn't even really have the idea necessarily it was much more of i was in the right place at the right time and it had the, enough of the previous experience to be able to like put myself in a position that um something happened in in weird thing in weird and probably a weird thing to say but in a lot of ways, it feels like Widget Smith happened to me rather than something I did. <laughs> um, like, and that's a complicated thing, honestly, like emotionally. And as I look at my work and where it feels like, you know, is it how much of it is something that I did and can feel, you know, proud of and responsible for? And how much of it is just, I happen to be the guy who was in the right, in the right place at the right time. And um, that's good, I think, from a humbling and a grounding perspective to have that kind of the, the the mentality and the expectation like that where it's like it, this isn't just like something i did it's also just something that happened to me and i can appreciate that and i can be grateful for it but um it's you know it's it's not like oh look at me i'm so right. fancy um it's like and anyone anyone who could have else could have been in this you know it's like if, if that if the woman who'd made that uh, tiktok video had done something else it's like she'd picked another app then they would have had the success and i would have had that that, that you know i would have felt men sort of that, that, that I missed out. Um, and I'm very sort of aware of that in a way that is, I think sort of healthy. Yeah. It's well, it's a, and it's a combination, right? Like, uh, like a lot of businesses, people either think it's totally luck or it was this person's, you know, grit and pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. And it's probably a combination of the two yeah. uh, that eventually leads to it. But yeah, no, I, it's really cool. And it's been really fun to watch. Um, and before before I let you go, I want to make sure I get to the the question I always ask everybody, uh, which is, what's a a person or people out there that have inspired you and your work that you recommend other people check out? Sure. So I mean, I, it's funny. I like, knew it's like it's always funny when you know the question's coming, but it, it doesn't necessarily make it easy yeah. to answer because um, there's a lot of people in our community that I, I look up to and that I have benefited a lot from sort of over the years. I mean, it's like, even it's like, it's like Marco Arment, the person that uh, I do a podcast with every other week. It's like he, for a long time listening to build and analyze um, in the early days of the app store, he was like 
my go-to for how I learned how to how to be an app developer and what that would look like. And um, in many ways, his experience is what motivated me to start my own podcast to talk about my experiences because it was like I want to be able to to share. And I think about you know, there's all of the old Mac developers um, that have been around for so long, like 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 a Craig Hockenberry right. or someone like that, where it's like I feel like there's this there are these people who have been doing this for so long. Not to call Craig old, but to say that he is very experienced in a way that I feel like my experience is so young. Um, but when I, when I was thinking about it, like, I think ultimately the people that I most sort of aspire towards or am, am inspired by, um, are people like Chris Lissio and Lauren Richter, um, who, so, uh, Chris Lissio makes Capo and a variety of other things. And it's like those two people specifically are like, in my mind, I think they may be some of the only people who ever have an individual, an individual developer who was able to win a full Apple design award, um, just sort of like on their own mm, and yeah. like, like that's always kind of the dream. That's always the thing in the back of my mind that I don't honestly, and like it, it's complicated emotions around if I, if I level actually happen, but that was always the dream. That was always the thing that I wanted to be part of that group of like a, a one person um shop who was able to make something that was good enough that um that Apple thought it, it was worthy of an Apple design award and i think that the fact that it was possible twice it was something that in many parts of my career has inspired me and motivated me to keep working at it and to keep trying to care and to keep not wanting to cut corners and to keep working hard and diligently at doing what i do um, knowing that, you know, it is possible that, you know, Chris and Lauren were both able to do it, that they made something amazing by themselves. Um, and that has always been inspiring to me and something that, um, I think is really cool. And I think their work is, you know, it's like Lauren has moved well off from Tweety these days. And, you know, Chris certainly still makes, um, Capo, but that's always that, that, that kind of thing is what I find really inspiring is the work that, like, it is possible for one person to do. Um, and that's just really cool to me. That's awesome. That, yeah, that is really cool. I, I did not realize those are the only two examples of a, a single developer winning an Apple design award. And I mean, I'm not sure about that completely. Like you never know with some of these apps, but as far as I know, like they certainly in the early days, those are, those are the two that, that always stuck out to me that most of the other Apple design awards go to big companies or at least you know, uh, partnerships right. or apps, you know, th- things we'll have the developer designer situation or something like that. But it's, it's a rare thing, I think, to, to not have, to, to not have it be a, a broader group. And so that was always what I found in, you know, sort of the, the, in the back of my mind, it's, it was, it was encouraging that it, it is possible. It's just very difficult. Man, that's awesome. Okay. Well, um, I guess to wrap up, where can people find, uh, you and, uh, your work? Sure. So, I mean, I'm uh, on Twitter. I'm underscore David Smith there. Um, David-Smith.org is my website. Um, I mean, if you go to the App Store, type in W, which is Smith will show up um, <laughs> at the top of the list. And um, that's a good way to, that's my most recent project or Pedometer Plus Plus or I've, you know, lots and lots of, I've built, like I said, I've had 57 apps, uh, probably maybe about six of them are still on the App Store. Um, but that's, you know, the App Store is the best place to see my work. Awesome. And then, uh, uh, under the radar is the podcast you do with sure. Marco, which, like I said, yeah. I've probably mentioned it on this podcast multiple times before. But uh, leading up to to me launching an app, that that was like it really was like a book that prepared me for what to expect. It sounds like kind of like sure. what Build and Analyze was for you early on. It was like, yeah, 
I had no clue what the App Store world looked like and right before launching because I had worked through your whole back catalog. Um, I felt like I, I at least had an idea of what to expect and that, that was really a big deal to me. So, uh, um, that's really great to hear. Yeah. I appreciate that. And people should definitely check that out. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched FM. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple podcasts, overcast breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launchedfm.com. FM.com.